Welcome to the Expand Your Frame podcast for coaches and leaders who coach. I'm your host, John Sigmund. In this episode, I'm chatting with Payal Jindal Khanna, an esteemed PCC coach through the International Coach Federation and an accomplished history professor. She's an award-winning figure in the realm of transformative coaching. Her approach is deeply rooted in cutting-edge research in applied neuroscience and the profound concepts of Carl Jung. Bridging the worlds of academia and corporate leadership, Payel is dedicated to empowering individuals and organizations. She's also the recipient of the prestigious ICF India Coaching Excellence Trailblazer Award in 2022. She's been a trailblazer in introducing coaching to the higher education sector in India, earning her a recognition at the renowned Times Higher Education Asia Awards in 2022. Her impactful coaching extends to top leadership at public sector uh, undertakings, notably the Government Banks of India, where she personally coaches the senior leadership. Payal has also made significant contributions to the corporate world, where she's conducted workshops on change management and leadership enhancement for organizations like the Indian Oil Corporation. Beyond her professional achievements, Payal is a devoted Buddhist with nearly two decades of experience actively contributing to building a peaceful world. Her life is deeply rooted in compassion, influenced by the ideals of her late mentor, Dr. Daisuke Akita, leading her to author her first book, Coaching, Compassion, and Leadership, Insights from Buddhist Wisdom. Join me in welcoming Payal. Hi, Payal. Welcome to the show. Hi, John. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited. I have been really, really looking forward to this conversation. So thank you for joining us today. Today, I'm sitting here. I'm in central New York in the beautiful Finger Lakes region of New York. And it's a very crisp, autumn, bright, colorful morning. I walked outside this morning and witnessed a beautiful sunrise with the orange and pink sky and the crunching under my feet with the cold ground. So how are things where you are? I know it's later in the evening there. Yeah. Thank you, John. Such a vivid, uh, you know, picture that you painted <laughs> of your day <laughs> and the morning. It's quite a contrast here. I am in the Himalayas. It's the foothills of the Himalayas in India. And it's a cold, uh, it's a very cold, windy day today. But I was looking forward to it because I knew I had this podcast with you. And the day has been uh, pretty uh, blissful and full of blessings. I met a few friends and uh, it's been going great now. Yes, thank you so much. Oh, well, it sounds like I'm beginning my day on a positive note and you're ending your day on a positive note. Yes, always grateful, John. Always grateful for a beautiful day. Me as well. Thank you so much. So let's just dive right in. You know, what I'm really interested in is, you know, and I like to talk to coaches about what inspired you to become a coach. So would you mind just sharing a little bit about your inspiration for becoming a coach? Yes, sure, John. I would love to do that. Uh, so I have been uh, active with this practitioner for the last 18 years now, John. And uh, the central uh, philosophy of Buddhism, if put in one word as my mentor, uh, late Dr. Daisaku Ikeda, 
the president of Soka Gakkai International would say, is to respect the person in front of you. And that's it. He would say, if I have to, in a nutshell, say, what is Buddhism? It is to offer respect. And you know, the prerequisite for respect in any uh, situation is compassion. So I was already uh, very fortunate to be able to, on a daily basis, nurture, cultivate, understand, you know, basically understand compassion in action through through his teachings. Wow. And yeah, and um, this this is where I was uh, already, you know, as a uh, as a life philosophy, uh, carrying deep conviction in the power of compassion. And that's when one of my friends introduced me to the coaching profession. I was uh, very naive at that time uh, when it came to coaching because coaching, though very, very prevalent in India, but uh, has not permeated yet into the you know nooks and corners of the country. Right. So uh, I had a lot of questions when this friend talked about coaching. And uh, obviously so... When he took me for a demo, uh, I was completely fascinated. The very first uh, demo and orientation that I attended for coaching, I could see that there is this beautiful synergy between what I already do, that is Buddhist practice, and this profession, which is coaching. And it was so interesting that when I started my coach training, when I like, really uh, took up coaching, uh, you know, that I would want to become a coach, uh, I just took it. To like fish takes to water, John. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, w- <laughs> it was very interesting because I remember I told my mentor coach uh, during those times, during our classroom hour trainings, that I want to like really jump on the table and <laughs> shout out to the world that coaching is nothing but Buddhism. And then he would tell me uh, so much about, you know, uh, how the origins of coaching actually are rooted in Buddhism. And I was, I would feel so glad in my heart. And from there is when I already knew that I would be talking about coaching and Buddhism coming together in such beautiful days sooner or later. And that's how here I am. Wow. What a beautiful story. And, you know, one of the things that I could really relate with was the naivete that you spoke of Uh, (laughs) you know when i started coaching myself it was much the same way i was very naive about what coaching is and how it impacts people's lives and you know for it has just been a fabulous journey so thank you for sharing your your inspiration and and journey with us you know i i wonder in, in that space who are the who are the typical clients or or coaches that you work with in your practice oh great um i was so looking forward to this <laughs> talking about this because this is where you know where my uh, i would largely not say passion but i would say where the love of my life lies you know because i i love to translate passion into love and i am a I am an academic, I'm a history professor, so I've been in the world of academia for the last 15 years, and I work with students on a daily basis, multitudes of them. Uh, so when I started my coaching profession, I was working with the C-suite um, executives, with my mentor coach. Uh, however, 
just by instinct, I would say, I started, or maybe because that's the being of a coach, the conversations in the classroom started uh, witnessing a shift, which I wasn't aware of, but were picked up by my students. And I realized and I witnessed that the students, there was this, I wouldn't say, uh, you know, huge or great shifts, but subtle yet tangible shifts in the human connection, you know, between, between me and the students. And I started seeing them translate into better class engagement, even better scores for students. And this would be just, I would say, coaching conversations or conversations which were, uh, you know, more human, mm. more compassionate. Maybe I was, I was already, uh, uh, I don't want to sound like what, pompous, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I really do, do uh, I'm able to build a connect with the students on a different level. But I think coaching conversations just took it to a different level. Yeah. And so uh, my work, sorry, so you were about to say something? No, I was just going to say, uh, so it's your, your work is largely, it sounds like with, with your students. Yes. I, I hope I'm not, uh, you know, coming off the long story, but I just wanted to give you a bit of context. So it's with students and this has led to me, uh, you know, conceptualizing and executing a project in the higher education at the university level for the first time ever in India, where we, we did coach over 18 months, 832 students, wow. 21 faculty members, all of them one-on-one -on -one coaching. Uh, I think it was an investment worth rupees for, for crores and done on a pro bono basis though, partnering with 170 ICF credentialed ACC onwards coaches. Wow. Yeah. So this was one of the more magnanimous projects that we we were too ambitious to <laughs> think <laughs> of and then very successfully execute, John, uh, you know, seamlessly uh, in this university where I uh, was working in the Kosali Hills, again, in the Himalayas. And it was beautiful. It was beautiful. The kind of uh, evidence-based outcomes that were there, they were phenomenal. And we had coaches from 15 countries. We were actively working with many ICF uh, chapters across the world. Uh, I see a foundation recognized our project, Times Higher Education Asia, which is like the Oscars of education. Uh, they uh, they awarded us, uh, uh, you know, for the for student support as one of the uh, top uh, ranking projects in Asia. So this was this was beautiful. This was the this was the uh, I think the most uh, concrete example of people coming together completely selflessly because there was not one penny involved in this entire project wow. selflessly you know to yeah. like really work towards the benefit of the students so this has largely been my segment sorry yes no yeah listen so what what a beautiful use case and and i love how you've characterized that as sort of a i see it sort of as a, a connectedness yes from yes. coaching to and think about the the vastness of the lives that were touched there and Absolutely. how now all of those individuals are connected to one another through coaching. What a beautiful story. Yes. <laughs> yes, John. I think this has been a beautiful journey for all of us, all the people, all the stakeholders, around a thousand people involved in this entire thing. And to answer the second part of your question, John, uh, 
I work with government uh, sector undertakings, which are called PSUs in India, public sector undertakings. And I work with senior most management still for one-on-one coaching again. Wow. You are certainly very busy. (laughs) (laughs) And and, and in addition to that, you have recently uh, published a book. Yes. First time author. Is this your first book? Yes, yes, John. This is my first book. Well, I was immediately taken with the title, Coaching, Compassion, and Leadership, Insights from Buddhist Wisdom. <laughs> and I'm just really curious, what are some of the, we've touched on them, I think, already today, but mm-hmm. what are some of the pieces of Buddhist wisdom that are present in your coaching and, and how you deliver Okay. To your community. Sure, John. Will it be okay, John, with your permission, if I begin with a small um, anecdote? Absolutely. From- <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is from Hindu mythology, okay? Okay. So, uh, it has nothing to do with religion. It's just about the interconnectedness because that's uh, very core to my book, right? Thank you. Uh, so uh, one of the very famous scientists, you know, um, Matt, uh, so before that, I will just, quote uh, Matthew Leiberman, who used to say that our need to connect is as fundamental as a need for food and water. And I'm sure you would agree with me here, John, that the need to connect cannot come unless we feel that compassion Hmm. for others, right? Right. And this beautiful, uh, you know, uh, portion from the book uh, by Francis Cook, uh, from his book, uh, author, he's the author of Hu Yan Buddhism, The Jewel uh, Net of Indra. Okay, So he says in his book, I quote, far away in the heavenly abode of the great god Indra. I'm going to break here a little bit. So you know Hinduism, it's like we have a pantheon of gods. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so this is, this is the, the, the Lord, one of the, one of the gods, right? So uh, there is a wonderful net that has been hung by some cunning artificer in such a manner that it stretches out infinitely in all directions. In accordance with the extravagant tastes of the deities, the artificer has hung a single glittering jewel in each eye of the net. And since the net itself is infinite, in all dimensions, the jewels are infinite in number. There hang the jewels, glittering like stars of the first magnitude, a wonderful sight to behold. If we now arbitrarily select one of these jewels for inspection and closely look at it, we will discover that in its polished surface there are reflected all the other jewels in the net infinite in number. Not only that, but each of the jewels reflected in this one jewel is also reflecting all the other jewels, so that there is an infinite reflecting process occurring. I unquote. Mm. <laughs> so this is this is about Indra's net, you know, and it symbolizes um, like a universe. The universe is actually a web of connections and interdependencies among among all its members, John, you know? 
so this metaphor is uh, is taken from one of the vedas of uh, hindu mythology uh, the atharva veda which is the fourth veda and it it just tells us that you know um, in a beautiful analogy that no jewel exists by itself independently of the rest so i do not exist independent of anyone around me everything is related to everything else nothing is isolated so this concept of mutual causation this concept of complete uh, mutually synergetic relationships that we are in you know uh, where every component is like the cause of the whole and also the effect of the whole i, ho- I hope i'm not going like too off the tangent here no it is it's it's perfect it 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 speaks precisely to a core philosophy that I have and that I engage with with my clients, and that is this interconnectedness. And the the metaphor is absolutely beautiful. And you know, I've not heard that analogy or that metaphor before. So it just really speaks to my heart. So thank you. Thank you, John. Thank you. I'm so glad it did speak to you. So this uh, this fundamental idea is also uh, a reflection of the unity in diversity, right? And this is where my book explores this transformative power of interconnectedness and compassion. So what what was what inspired you to write this book now? I felt the time was ripe. And uh, my conviction was so deep, and I really felt that the uh, you know that it is important for people to see this uh, beautiful you know communion of uh, of this ancient Buddhist wisdom and the transformative coaching principles coming together, and what is their impact? What can be the phenomenal impact on the model leadership? Yeah. So when you're working in your, with your PSU clients and uh, how do you approach the topics of connectedness and compassion? You know, I, over the years, I found a way to kind of translate those concepts and those Mm -hmm. energies with people that I feel like may not be quote unquote ready to hear that message but are, are there specific ways that you convey those messages uh, to your c-suite clients uh, I completely uh, understand from where you're coming John here because it's it can get really difficult right uh, right and, and and you know to to be to be <laughs> talking <laughs> about empathetic leadership and all of that you know in a boardroom is easier said than done right? Absolutely. So I think uh, if you begin from the point of uh, being authentic, John, uh, you know, how how authentic we are in terms of authentic to ourselves, our values, our beliefs, you know, and our core principles. And how do we translate that into the organizations that we are leading? I think that has been a beautiful beginning point, starting point for me. Uh, because that's where the sort of uh, self discover self awareness sets in uh, for the leaders that I work with or for the senior professionals that I work with. 
um, and also I think uh, complementing that with coaching strategies uh, really helps really helps to uh, kind of create that setting where this uh, where they feel a little more vulnerable in speaking about you know uh, about uh, about compassion or empathy and how much they are practical or relatable to them in that situation or scenario or environment right you know i i i really appreciate how you've characterized this you know on on my end i i agree i think it's really simple while we're in a little box uh, on a video call to talk about being compassionate and, yes. and showing empathy and being connected to others. And it's a little bit of a different uh, way to actually implement and do those mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, how you're describing it, I think really resonates with me because I think what you're saying is as a coach, if I can be authentic and what that means is to be true to my values and the things that are important to me that that will transmit to the people that I coach, you know, and over the years, what, how I've thought of it is more, a little bit more intellectual in some ways than more intuitive. So I think your approach feels very intuitive to me. My approach has always been a little bit more intellectual, which is more kind of, how can I translate this language in a way that will be heard mm -hmm. by my coachee or by my client. So rather than talking about a per, a person's captain and crew or their internal resources, I talk to them about their, their board of directors, for example, in a language mm -hmm. that they can understand. So I think what you're suggesting here is a really powerful way, at least from, from my point of view, and that is a little bit more intuitive and in focusing on myself Yes. As the instrument of conveying this information rather than my intellect in some ways. <laughs> you know, uh, it takes so much of courage to do that, John, because authenticity, I feel, is uh, it requires immense amount of courage because the kind of pressure that we have to be in a certain way, um, you know, from, from people or from situations, um, it it really does uh, does uh, does take a lot in that sense, but I think when you start being the way you believe in, then it would become so seamless and organic. I agree. You know, it, one of the things I've been really excited to chat with you about is this idea of being more compassionate, and that comes through. Clearly, it's in the title of your book. Yes. And it's a theme throughout your book. And, you know, I have a few, what I think are very simple ways that I use to cultivate compassion. And, and, mm -hmm. and what I find is what's really difficult for me is cultivating self compassion. And, and what I have found <laughs> is that, yeah. you know, when I can focus on doing that, I am more compassionate outwardly. And also when I am able to be still and whether that's through meditation or some mm -hmm. other way, it's just the stillness that comes right, mm -hmm. allows me to be a little bit more compassionate. And I guess what I'm suggesting here is that my point of view is that compassion and empathy are not just 
adjectives or descriptor words, mm -hmm. actually action words. I have yes. to actually do something to become a more compassionate person. So would you chat with us a little bit about some of the practices that have worked for you or, or what your thoughts are about the work of being compassionate? Yes, yes. It's so important to talk about this, John, because um, as you said, right, compassion is empathy in action. Compassion is actually a verb, is what I talk about a lot during my workshops or my sessions. And it does not, and you cannot translate something into action unless you're feeling it, right? Right. So that, and when you talk about uh, the outwardly compassion, uh, can only come later unless you feel that uh, self-compassion. So at the beginning point is actually self-compassion, that loving kindness, you know, towards oneself. Because something which I cannot give myself, how will I be able to give others, right? Right. So I, I talk about it extensively in my, in my book and through the example of the Bodhisattva. So Bodhisattva is like this uh, beautiful example of the you know, ideal of compassionate living because a Bodhisattva has relinquished the opportunity to attain enlightenment so that bodhisattva can come back and help others, you know, uh, come out of their sufferings. So this intense desire to alleviate the suffering of others. So do do I feel that? Do I feel that um, desire? Do I feel it in my heart, in my being? Mm. But before that, how do I do that? Is when I feel that for myself, right? And this, this can be cultivated through, beautifully through, and I think the world has extensively spoken about this already with me not being any, any authority on it, uh, is mindful meditation, right? So mindfulness is a beautiful uh, tool to cultivate compassion because in that sense, compassion is also a skill that we can actually uh, nurture, right? And strengthen. So mindful, and uh, I've, I've I'm really inspired by the work of John Kabat-Zinn, you know, mm, and, yes. and you know, and the way uh, this this beautiful quote from him, where he says, "Just this moment, just this breath, just this sitting here, just this being human, just this, just this," mm. you know, this this uh, state of nothingness, not doing anything, but being. So I cannot, um, you know, I have to be compassionate. I cannot be going around and, you know, doing compassionate activities if I am actually not that in my being. Yeah. You know, what this reminds me of is one of the things that you mentioned right at the very beginning when we were talking about your coaching work. And you didn't describe it exactly this way, but the essence of it, I think, was your your being with your clients. Yes. Right. And, and that's is the and just by the way, this is the second time in a week I have 
had someone mention that kind of expression to me. So maybe there's a little bit of a message there, right? <laughs> Some but, synchronicity, but, yes. <laughs> yeah. but, but I, I think that you're right. Uh, you know, and, and one distinction I want to make here just to see what your thoughts are is I also believe that mindfulness is a great action to take to cultivate mm-hmm. greater self-compassion. And also mindfulness is not relegated only to a meditative practice. So if anyone's listening out there and they've struggled with meditation, et cetera, you know, mindfulness is not only about meditation. It's about other aspects of your life as well. So I can have a mindful walk, for example. I can mindfully eat. I can actually be mindful in this very moment that you and I are connecting with one another across the world. Right. So I just I think it's helpful for people to understand that mindfulness is a way of being. To your point, meditation is a vehicle that can get us to mindfulness in many ways. But I also find that that is a great tool to use in cultivating compassion. Absolutely. Absolutely. And since you mentioned mindful eating, right, let me ask you if that's OK, John. Sure. <laughs> what's your favorite food? <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know, uh, for I would say, unfortunately, my favorite food tends to be dessert. I <laughs> so, so let me start there. My favorite dessert is ice cream, any sort of frozen dairy type of dessert, whether wow. it's, you know, dairy from it could be any kind of goat's milk or any other kind of dairy uh, product. Uh, but on the food side of the house, I tend to lean toward uh pasta type dishes. Uh, So I'm a fairly eclectic eater, but if I had to only choose two foods, it would probably be ice cream and pasta. Pasta. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right. All right. I'm I'm surprised I'm not 400 pounds, quite honestly. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That's good then. That's not unfortunate. (laughs) That's wonderful. So let me ask you, John, if I may, with your permission. Sure. How many times while eating, let's say pasta, you know, have you paid attention, like really paid attention to the taste, to the texture, to the feel, to even the shape of pasta in your mouth? I would say that that is a pretty rare occasion that I actually do that. And I think that you're pointing out something here that I think is really critical, and that is being intentional Absolutely. about how we move forward, right? So if if a practice of mindfulness for me is to mindfully eat, mm-hmm. you know, I can leave this call and I can go with automaticity to my kitchen and start preparing something to eat or mm-hmm. I can be intentional about that and say, well, I'm going to go with purpose and I'm going to pay attention to the things that I do. It's as you suggested. And it makes a huge difference when I do that. So I, I think part of what a lot of us struggle with is just kind of rolling from one event to another event to the next event without taking a moment or two to get clear about what is our purpose or intention in this moment. And that kind of bring that mindfulness to the forefront. 
Absolutely. It is about the the words that you said so beautifully and they're so powerful, John. Attention, purpose, and presence. And definitely all of this non-judgmentally. And this is how also John mm. Kabat-Zinn describes mindfulness, right? Right. Yeah, I, and, and I I love sort of that that gentleness about how he characterizes it, and, and you as well. Just that non-judgmental nature of things, and again, sort of that's the cultivation of that self-compassion. So that when I am meditating, and hopefully mindfully, and my mind naturally starts to drift, I don't beat myself up over that. I just notice that and I pull myself back to the present moment and it's not a big deal. Yes. No interference and no resistance. Yeah. (laughs) How how beautiful. So mindfulness sounds like a a terrific way to, to cultivate greater compassion, you know, and I think the reason why this is, an interesting topic, at least for me, and I think for a lot of listeners, is again, you know, the real work of compassion for me comes when I'm in a meeting, I'm in a conversation with someone that, you know, pushes my buttons or that I really, really disagree with. And and how can I see that person from a place of compassion as opposed to from a place of reaction where I'm reacting to the things that they say or the way that they're being. And and that is really where the tough work is, at least from my point of view. Oh, that that's very true, John, because I think the constant struggle for most of us is between responsiveness and being reactive, right? Yeah, exactly. And uh, I was I was watching this uh, video by Benny Brown a couple of years ago. And it really, uh, really resonated with me because one part of it uh, where she says the, the truth of the other person, right? Where you need to see that the truth of the other person or the story of the other person rather as their truth. Because what we are doing all the time, why are we reactive, John? You know, what makes us reactive? Mm-hmm. It's because we are the narrative that is in our head you know, it's completely twisting the way we are viewing that situation or person. And we are not viewing their story as their truth. And this is like really important because again, I will I would like to tie it back to, to Buddhism in a way where where we where we speak about the lesser self and the greater self. Okay, just bear with me a little bit, John here. Yeah. You know, so uh, according to Buddha, we have this two selves, the greater self and the lesser self, okay? The lesser self is the way, the, the reactive self, you could say, where we, where we uh, do not want to, <laughs> you know, <laughs> actually, because it's so comfortable to be in that space where you can just uh, judge and assume and, you know, uh, and, and just... Uh, just pass on these, uh, you know. I mean, the way the way where we feel that the, what I'm thinking is right, what I'm doing is right, right. And mm. this this uh, this uh, lack of empathy, you know, and where we are ruled by our emotions of uh, 
anger, envy, and so many, you know, so many of them. And the greater self is where I step back, that intentional pause. And we are all already aware of it, right? But how many times right. do we actually practice it? It's that intentional pause of stepping back. And this cannot come, uh, you know, John, uh, until we are self-aware and how it is directly linked to being emotionally intelligent, you know, all of that. But the self-awareness, again, this, this can be cultivated so much through mindful meditation. And when, when we are self-aware, when we are aware of, you know, our feelings, again, our thoughts, belief systems, and emotionally intelligent, because to be aware of what I'm feeling before I can react to a certain situation or a person is, is like really the groundwork for, for being empathetic. So if I'm walking into that boardroom, it's you, me, or anybody else, when I'm not self-aware, how could I be? How could I be translating that into uh, my understanding of our awareness for others? Exactly. You know, and you mentioned a word there that I think is important, at least from my point of view, and that is practice. Practice, yes. I mean, this. You know, these things take practice. And, and, you know, I don't know about you, but there have been many times I have walked into board meetings or other meetings or things like that. And before I go, I'm not intentional about how much I care about the people in the room or how much I love them or how I want to be. You know what I'm doing? I'm putting on a suit of armor. Absolutely. To kind of protect my, you know, I feel like I need to protect myself from what's going to come as opposed to entering into it with a different way of being. And so I think, you know, that practicing and just uh, noticing and being purposeful. And, and when I'm in that space, then we have a choice, right? Yes. So, I, so I have at least two or three different ways that I can approach something. I can put on my armor if that's what's needed. If I decide that that's what's going to be helpful, or I can put on the compassionate version mm -hmm. of myself. And, mm -hmm. and to your point earlier, get in touch with my values, mm -hmm. the things that are important to me and show up as a person of integrity. So there are lots of different choices that I can make, but it comes down to making that choice as opposed to just automatically going from one event to another event to another event. And I think that's what you're suggesting. Absolutely. Thank you so much for saying that, John. Thank you so much for sharing that. The power of choice, right? I mean, Absolutely. we have that from moment to moment. And I do talk about it in the book as well, you know, uh, in one of the ways to how to approach a situation, you know, setting the intention is so very important. How am I feeling right now before I, as you said, before you walk into a meeting, like doing the self-check. How am I feeling right now? What emotions or sensations are present in my body? Am I carrying any personal biases or assumptions that could influence, you know, the meeting or the interaction? And what expectations or intentions do I have for the session? And I'm, right. am I open to, you know, adapting them based on what's going to happen in that uh, environment? So yes. this is so very intent. Being intentional, you know, is just I think the foundation for 
and how to be intentional, obviously, through <laughs> practice. <laughs> right. Yes. You know, and, and whether, and this is a podcast for, for coaches and, and for leaders who use coaching in their yes. day-to-day work. Absolutely. And as a coach, regardless of where you find yourself, I, what you just suggested, I think, is extraordinarily important. I mean, I can't leave this conversation and go directly into a coaching conversation mm-hmm. and carrying all of this in my head and in my body into the next conversation. I've got to find a way to kind of clear that out, whether it's taking a deep breath, maybe going for a walk, maybe some physical movement, but some practice to kind of clear away what I've just done so that I can be fully present. And to your point earlier, again, to kind of be with the person that I'm coaching and working with. Yes, yes. Be with, right? That's the most important. Yeah. You know, as we kind of think a little bit more about your your work and in the book, what is the is there a key lesson or learning that you hope people will take away from reading your book? Yeah, I think John, it's uh, I may sound repetitive (laughs) (laughs) the the key uh i wouldn't say the lesson i say i would say hope (laughs) and the hope is that uh you know we understand you know that's also my ethos for the book is that allowing or giving ourselves permission to be human you know what are as you said you know putting on that armor what are we trying to protect ourselves from Right. So that's a very important question. And uh, to break that barrier from that, as I already mentioned, from the lesser self to the greater self, from the reactive self to the responsive self, or you could say the authentic self, mm. you know? So I think if you if you uh, condense what I've spoken about in the book, that is compassion, loving kindness, or metta, as we say in uh, Pali, in Buddhism, or when we talk about interconnectedness or human connections, I think it all boils down to being authentic. I agree. And for and for me, that is definitely something that I would want people to at least uh, take a moment and think about. You know. And if I may add, uh, John, if that's okay. Yes, indeed. I have worked with. Um, some very, very senior professionals, Sean, where they say, I don't have, (laughs) I don't think I have that compassionate vein in me, (laughs) (laughs) you know, or that I don't have time, you know, I don't have time for, for like really uh, leading this meeting with a lot of empathy, you know? So this, this obsession with the, you know, the uh, financial outcomes or, or the business outcomes over people, you know, at the cost of what, you know. So basically this people-centric approach, and it's not just about work, uh, uh, John, though definitely I'm leaning towards leadership and coaches in the book, but it's just applicable for everyone because I I cannot be a Sunday compassionate coach right 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 i this this is who i have to be as a mother as a wife as a teacher professor 
coach, a Buddhist. So unless I am this, I will not be able to do what I intend to do. Otherwise, I'll be a Sunday Buddha only. <laughs> yeah. What, what a beautiful message. You know, before, before I let you go, I, I do have to ask about your website. Yes, yes. I, I'm just, I'm curious about the name. <laughs> I knew you would ask me that. <laughs> I, 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 I'm guessing you get that question a lot. So I'm just. All I, the time. <laughs> so what, what, what is it about the name that uh, is meaningful for you? Yes, John. So uh, it, it, it's so interesting and it's also very, very profound in, uh, in some sense for me because this is something that's not openly spoken about, John, right? And I think most of us are caught in this uh, web of uh, the dynamics in our work environment, failing to understand how to navigate or steer through this complex uh, situations or landscape. And I really want, it, it's about both, for people to have a voice to be able to uh, say, also to be able to be vulnerable and offering them that safe space uh, to, you know, to, to be able to uh, like really uh, make the best of, of the situations they are in through a compassionate approach. So corporate politics, <laughs> in the sense that that's my website. The audience are wondering what it is. <laughs> yes, the yeah, corporate yeah. politics. The corporate politics. So it's about, uh, it may have, it may give you that negative connotation in the sense, but it's actually about understanding how to to like really traverse this complex, complex landscape of today's work environment. Yeah. And it is complex. Wouldn't you agree? <laughs> as much as it can get, John. <laughs> yes, uh, yeah. yes, indeed. Well, you know, if people, I'm going to put some information in the show notes for, yes. from this episode. Uh, and of course, if people would like to reach out to you, uh, I'm guessing a good place to do that may be through LinkedIn or your website. Uh, both and email as well. I, I think they can uh, go to www.thecorporatepolitics.com. Um, through my LinkedIn, that is Bio Jindal Khanna. I can spell it out if you think. Uh, yeah. yeah, so we, we can put that in the show notes. So oh, wait, we'll have, have access okay, to that. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to encourage people to grab a copy of your book and read it. I think there's a lot of wisdom there and a lot of uh, tools and ways that you can be as a coach that can help you translate from this idea of kind of being an authentic in touch with your values, compassionate, empathetic leader in a way that's going to transmit to the people that you coach and work with. And it's just full of wisdom and insight. And I want to, from the bottom of my heart, thank you uh, for joining us today and, and for all of the work that you're doing. Uh, John, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I honor you and your work and I celebrate you, John. And uh, I appreciate your thoughtfulness and making this connection. And I'm looking forward to getting to you know, know you more and more, <laughs> you know, in the coming days. And uh, thank you to the DR audience. Thank you, everyone. 
I'm deeply grateful to Payal for joining us today. During our conversation, what I was struck by was the deep, heartfelt love and compassion and just the embodiment in many ways of transformation, love, and connection. And all the way from central New York to the foothills of the Himalayas, we were able to connect in a deep and profound way. So I'm enormously grateful to you, Payal, and I'm enormously grateful to you, the audience. Thank you for listening. I look forward to seeing you in the near future. Take care. Mm-hmm.